Y'all sound good today. And if you're singing online, I'm sure you sound good too. So first of all, I forgot to announce earlier that I uh, want to say a thank you to Aaron Harden because he's our volunteer of the month and he's on vacation. So uh, he, he's earned it though. Um, and I also wanted to remind everybody to be praying. Uh, our, our team is down in the Dominican Republic right now, probably going to church. And uh, so keep, keep them in your prayers as well. And, uh, and before we get into the message, can I just say how cool it was last week to baptize uh, three people and how awesome it was to just be able to celebrate their lives uh, transformed by Jesus. And I loved, I loved, I loved, the, the coolest thing was Grandpa brought Lila Lila came when she could, you know, she was a, just a little thing, and, and, but she loved the worship. She's always loved the worship, and, uh, and so you have that years go by, um, and then, and, and she wants to get baptized, uh, but then things came up, like a pandemic, um, but when, when she came back, she came back with her parents, and her parents started coming to church, and God does some transforming, redeeming work in their lives and in their hearts, and so Josh and Kristen come, and they want to get baptized along with Lila, and so last week, you just have this beautiful picture of a family who's been transformed by the power of Jesus. And I just think that is so, so good. And, and uh, I just, and I love the picture of a family being transformed by Jesus because that's what we want to be. We want to be a family of believers that are being transformed by the risen power of our Savior. So today we are starting our new series on the book of James. And before we really dig into the book, uh, uh, a lot of times it's, it's helpful to understand what's going on and who it is that's writing the book, uh, to understand the, the cultural things and the historical things that are going on, because the Bible is never going to mean to us today what it did, what it meant to people back then. So to understand the, the thought behind it, what's going on, who it is that's bringing the word to us. And so just like last week, we got to see a family that had their lives changed by Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about a man who had his life transformed by the power of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. His name is James, and he's the author of the book that we're, we're going to study. And let me just give you a forewarning. James, he, he's tough. Like, it's like the bell rings and he comes out swinging. Um, and so we're not going to get to that part this week. We're gonna, we're, but, uh, but yeah. But I want to talk just a little bit about the author himself, about James. Because James is so, sort of a side character. He just kind of pops up a few times through the New Testament. Uh, although James is a little bit different than all the other characters that pop out through, through the New Testament. 
James is a little different. His story is a little bit different than anybody else's because James is Jesus' brother. Dun, dun, dun. Based on what was written, based on his historical context, historical accounts, the date that it was written, all of that thing, it was written by James, Jesus' brother. And we know that James had a brother named, or we know that Jesus had a brother named James because you look in Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56, it says, coming into his hometown, him being Jesus, he began teaching the people in the synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Different Judas. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? So just imagine for a second being Jesus brother, his little brother, like, ugh. I mean, I, I mean, you hear parents say sometimes, like, why can't you be more like your brother? But, I mean, I, you can't be like, mom, it wasn't me, it was, uh, no, you know, you can't get away for, like, with much. You can't shift the blame to Jesus a whole lot when, when you're a little kid because Jesus is Jesus. And, and I'm guessing Mary never put that burden of why can't you be more like your brother on James. But I mean, it must have been hard to live with to have Jesus as your big brother. Although, I mean, as far as big brothers go, he's probably like the best big brother you would ever have. But imagine trying to, I mean, living up to your big brother. Although, I think maybe we all can understand that just a little bit. Because I can certainly tell you, and I know that a lot of you here know this, that no matter how good Jesus is to us, no matter how much his yoke is easy and his burden is light, no matter how much love and grace he shows us, no matter how much we're all brothers of Christ, no matter how much he's the best big brother that we could ever have, so often when, uh, when I think about Jesus, I just feel like such a failure. So may, maybe we can understand what it would be like to be James a little bit. But then James doesn't really show up again for a little while. But in the beginning, in the beginning, James didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was. If you look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. It says, this is verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. James thought Jesus had lost it, that he was crazy. 
There's a saying that every person has to decide what to do with Jesus because he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And James, it seems, was solidly in the second category of people. He thought Jesus had lost his mind. He certainly didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. But then it's funny how a little bit of popularity will change your perspective and your feelings about somebody. At least it did for Jesus' brothers. Because then in John chapter 7, in verses 1 through 5, it says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then look what it says, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They're like, Jesus, dude, you're just playing the small towns. You need to cash in on this. You know, hit the big town. You got to get up to Judea. You got to get up to Jerusalem if you really want to become somebody. So for, for James, at this point, Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's a means to an end. It says, they didn't believe in him. But as a public figure, I mean, that can't be bad, right? Have a celebrity, big brother, who's important. It's always nice to know a guy like, hey, that Jesus guy, that's my brother. Other commentators lean towards maybe they were just being sarcastic. Like, hey, leave, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the things you're doing. Show yourself to the world. Others, maybe that, that they were trying to push him because they knew that the religious leaders there were, looking, were out to get him. Like, come on, man, go up to Judea. Like, you know, then we'll just see what happens. Either way, either way you take it, either way the commentators look at it, no matter how you swing it, Jesus is a means to an end. Jesus is a way for them to get what they want. Either popularity, either Jesus out of their hair, either just some giggles because they're making fun of their brother. And then James doesn't show up again for a little bit until the book of Acts. And then when he does show up, he kind of shows up in a surprising place. So if you go to Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with the disciples, and Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the day. But then look at this. This is Acts 1.14. It says, they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with who? His brothers. Something's changed. 
Fast forward a couple of years. James, the disciple, is beheaded. Peter is arrested. They're going to get ready to, to behead him. An angel comes, sets Peter free. Peter goes to the church wherever, uh, where they're praying together. They're so surprised that Peter is free, they don't even believe it. They're like, it must be a ghost. In Acts 12, 13 to 17, it says, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He says this, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. Now, James isn't just praying with them. James is a part of the church. He's an important part. Fast forward again. Paul starts preaching to the Gentiles. They believe in Jesus. They start receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul is preaching and starting churches with the Gentiles. Christianity is not just a Jewish thing anymore. The church starts to divide and argue about it. So they call this council together. In Jerusalem. And look who speaks up. James. James, who's now the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 15, 12 through 19. The whole assembly became silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God has done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described how to us how God, has, how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will I rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's James. James is in charge of the church, the Christian church. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. James encountered someone who had risen from the dead. That will change your perspective on things. Watch any movie. James saw someone who was dead, his own brother, die, executed, eviscerated, bleed out, tortured to death on a cross in a way that no one comes back from. He saw his brother alive with nail holes in his hands and his feet, sitting there eating with the family like nothing happened. That will change you. That will make you a believer. What happened? James was transformed by the risen power of Jesus. And then you take a believer and you fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when you get a James. A scoffer, a user who turned into a leader. That's when you get a Peter, 
a coward who was afraid to tell a little girl that he even knew Jesus into a person a month or so later who's speaking to a crowd of 3,000 and bringing them to belief and, and faith in Jesus Christ. That's when you get a Josh Robinson, an agnostic who becomes a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. That's when you get a Brian Neville. That's when you get lives like so many of those that you're sitting with today that have been transformed by the power of a risen Savior and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And I don't know about you, but maybe you can identify with James a little bit in some way. Maybe today you're here or you're watching online and you feel kind of like a failure. Can I just remind you that 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29 says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. If you're weak, that's okay. God uses the weak. God uses the failures. There's, look through the stories of the Bible. Most of them are failures, outcasts, people that really you would not guess are the people that God is going to use. And that's who God picks. Maybe today you're questioning who Jesus is like James did. Look, Jesus is either a liar that he wasn't who he said he was, but I don't know about you, by the time that they were about to put the nail through my second hand, I'd give up the charade. I don't think I'd keep that lie going. So either Jesus was a liar or Jesus was a lunatic, but that, that doesn't account for the miracles and the fact that at one point his family thought he was nuts but then later believed. And, it, and it's not like they got more popular because they believed in Jesus. Because James, Jesus' brother, was executed. And you don't get executed for your nutty brother because all of a sudden you believe. So either Jesus was a liar or Jesus was a lunatic or... If he's not those, then he's Lord, and we need to respond to him as such. If he's Lord, then you need to make him the Lord of your life today, surrendered fully to him. Not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Not my will, but yours. Not my direction, but yours. Maybe today... You're like James. You don't really believe in him. 
you have not in faith trusted him with your entire life. But you like to think he's watching over you. Hey, you're going to go to heaven because you're a pretty good person. Praying helps you feel better. Or when you need help with something. Being a Christian gets you around the right kind of people, good moral people that you can, you know, keep your kids around. It makes you feel good, like you're doing the right thing. Maybe it helps you be popular. But it's more about being part of a group, not about a growing relationship with your Savior and Lord and friend. You can say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but your life doesn't really back it up. Because there's no love, there's no joy, there's no peace. There's not that love in you that keeps no record of wrongs. That love that always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Your faith doesn't match your life that much. You say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But you're really doing what James was doing. You're using Jesus to get something you want. Kind of goes back to the question that I asked. Did you come here today for Jesus to bring him the greatest glory, or did you come here to get something for yourself? Because James would go on to say, James, not, I don't believe in Jesus, James, but James transformed by Jesus, James. He goes on to say, you say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? James would go on to say, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Could it be that James was writing those things out of a little bit of experience? Could it be that the things that James calls out in, in his book as we read through and you're like, oh, ouch. Could it be that the reason that he is writing those things was because he's been there? When he talks about the tongue being fire and destroying things, he kind of knows because he called Jesus crazy. Or, or because... Maybe he used to make fun of Jesus. Could it be that James was able to write those things because James had been there, but then Jesus changed him. And now James is going to challenge us to step into this deeper life, this deeper life in Jesus. What if today you allowed yourself to encounter 
the risen Savior in this moment? What if today you asked for a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit? You believe in Jesus, but you need to be a believer that's set on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe for the first time today, you need to ask Jesus to come and be the Lord of your life, to surrender your life to him. Or, or maybe today you just need to be refilled because I don't know about you, but I leak. So I need God to keep filling me up. And maybe today your spirit just feels kind of empty. What if today you decided to surrender to Jesus as Lord, not my will but yours, and bowed your knee to him? Maybe today God is asking you to take a step into a deeper life. Will you take it? Maybe today God's asking you to truly turn from your sin and trust him with your whole life, really for the first time. Will you trust him? James is good at calling people out into the next step of a deeper life. Will you take that step with him? Let's pray.